Well, initially, uh, in the 1950s, there was also Friday night monitor. But uh, for most of its run, it was Saturdays and Sundays, uh, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon and Sunday may, night. There was no Sunday morning say, monitor. May I say that it, it, to some extent it was a response to of the radio network to television. And, uh, uh, and the fact it was, that, as, uh, as the, the fading of uh, the uh, network entertainment programs, the radio programs that were like TV programs, uh, uh, and radio shifted uh, also during that period from radio was no longer a nighttime medium. It was primarily a daytime medium, and Monitor was primarily a daytime show. Right, because people came home and watched television at night. Yeah, exactly right. And also, you've got to remember, too, the other thing that happened was post-World War II, uh, was the beginning of suburbia, uh, the beginning of people driving to work in their cars every day. Morning drive supplanted prime time as the most important time on radio. And that was a function of the changing of America in the post-war years, too. And uh, morning drive and the host, and then after that, gradually afternoon drive, the host, but you had a radio that was driven in part by personalities and uh, exactly, and uh, that was the, the uh, WPTF prime example of that uh, in 1952 when uh, Bill Jackson took over as host of the BJ show, the morning show on WPTF. And I was told by a, a longtime salesman at WPTF that uh, the BJ show, when Bill Jackson was hosting it, was a program they really didn't have to sell that basically sponsors came to them wanting to be sponsors on the BJ show. Well, it's telling that neither you nor I, and we're both kind of amateur historians of WPTF, I, I can, and I don't think you can tell who the morning host was before Bill Jackson. No, and I'm not sure what kind of show they did in the morning before Bill Jackson. I know that uh, they had done a number of music shows very early in the morning, uh, in the immediate post-war years, and you know there were some familiar figures like uh, Homer Briarhopper and uh, Chet Atkins and people like that Country who were around with music, music shows. shows huh? Yeah, exactly. But I think I don't know that there was ever actually a what we would recognize now as a real morning show before BJ show started in uh, 1952. Well, that show was fine-tuned. One of the interesting things is I've been going around, and I even asked Mrs. Kearney uh, to always ask people, you know, uh, about listening to WPTF. And an awful lot of people uh, would say, well, my, my, my daddy would come in and he'd turn it on and it would stay on all day. And the thing they would remember was that when Let's Go to the Hills, which was a 15-minute talk portion of the morning show, came on, it was time to do what? It was time to go to school then. Yeah, the other was 8.15. Uh, 8.15, right. There was, there was one of two uh, two talk segments. 8.15 was uh, Let's Go to the Hills, and 9.15 was Gap Fest. And essentially, they were the same show, but with different sponsors. Let's Go to the Hills was sponsored by the North Hills Shopping Center. Gap Fest was sponsored by Cameron Village. And uh, I, I, it was true for me as, as well. It, uh, it was, that was the time my dad and I, uh, he struck out for going downtown, and he would drop me off at the school. But let's let's go to the hills. 
was the show that signaled that, that it, in fact, was time to go. Well, and it was Bill Jackson and Wally Osley on both of those programs. And the BJ show, and and we, I, I know you will, uh, if I tease you a little bit, talk more about the Bill Jackson show and the BJ show. But right now, I want to take a break a little bit and give us give us some room and fulfill our obligations to the people who put us on the air. Tony Rigsby is our guest tonight. We are talking about the WPTF's uh, history at the time that the the golden age of radio, the golden age of network radio was beginning to collapse and things were beginning to take its place. New forms from the network like Monitor and new formats locally. And we're going to be talking about that some tonight. And we're to the point where we will have listeners who remember the people that we are talking about. Uh, and uh, so we hope you will stay tuned to WPTF. We'll be back in a couple of three minutes. Uh, we're looking forward to WPTF being 96 years old next next uh, Tuesday. And this is, Tony, a, a good year to note the uh, the age of radio stations because it was in 1920 that KDKA broadcast the Harding-Cox election returns. And it was so impressive that they put the word out to so many people so easily that that's often cited as really the beginning of, of the period of radio in the United States. And uh, I don't know, Tom, if you've uh, uh, if you listen to uh, uh, CBS News on the hour as much as I do, uh, but last week, uh, the end of the first segment where they have a 15-second promotional uh, piece at the end, they go 2.45 and then 15-second promotional in the first segment, uh, with the voice of Steve Kathan, they were saluting the 100th anniversary of one of the original CBS affiliates, KNX in Los Angeles. And, you know, that, that's one thing that uh, most of the history of the United States has progressed from the east to the west, but, but radio sprang up in the west, and like with stations like KNX and KPO in San Francisco, which later became KNBR, we know about it. Uh, the, same, uh, same frequency as WPTF. Right, yeah. And, and, it's so that WPTF had to have a directional antenna in the early days, or well, even even now. But in any case, I did not know the KNX. And what I thought you were going to say is there's a there's a great dispute about which is the first radio station on the air, and it has a little to do with how you define the subject. And and I know I've dealt with people about the age of WPTF, and it all matter. It all boils down to of what uh, what you're talking about, but WWJ in Detroit is uh, went on the air in August of 19, uh, 1920, which was about two months before KDK, as a licensed radio station. It had been experimenting for a number of years. And, and it, is, it, was, uh, it is also a CBS affiliate. Right, and whenever you have news about the, the auto world, it almost always comes from WWJ. And uh, from correspondent Jeff Gilbert, most of the time from WWJ in Detroit. Right, and it's been around since then. But there are there are a number of contestants for the oldest radio station, and it sort of depends on how you define the subject. But uh, in North Carolina, it's clear that WBT in Charlotte went on the air in 1922, and WPTF went on the air in 1924, and, and then it's a while before any stations that are still on the air uh, are came on, and so uh, it has a uh, prize of place uh, in, in, in the history of radio. We were talking about when little 
Tony Rigsby started listening to the radio, uh, and the uh, the uh, the golden age of radio is usually assigned to the period in which the networks dominated radio. And WPTF, we should mention, was a member of the National Broadcasting Company, the NBC network, from 1929 until it was sometime in the 1980s, Tony, when when they switched. But it was a, a hard rock member of the what was probably well. I don't know. You would probably say CBS was the best network. Huh? But, well, I would say CBS is the best network, but NBC was a great one, too. Right. Uh, WPTF was originally part of the NBC Red Network, because right. you remember NBC had uh, two different networks, NBC Red and uh, NBC Blue. And we were an NBC affiliate, uh, uh, as you mentioned, up until uh, the uh, late 1980s, and then there was a brief interregnum, and we became an NBC affiliate again for several years after that. I like it when people use words like interregnum, and and we were at uh, different times briefly members of the ABC network, and are now members of the CBS network. Which right, and we also had uh, we had uh, one stint uh, when we were uh, with the AP radio network too. And so there's there's been uh, a lot of and uh, and Tom actually uh, we could also throw in uh, there was a long period uh, when I first came. Uh, to WPTF full-time in 1978, uh, and this is still the case when you came in the early 1980s, that uh, we also carried the Mutual Radio Network at night with the Larry King Show overnight, and the bottom of the hour news was Mutual News, although we carried the NBC newscast at the top of the hour. Right, right. And, uh, usually in, uh, when you carried a program like that, you you almost committed yourself to carrying the news broadcast during that part. Not always, but in some way, you had to make uh, make you had to pay for it, so to speak. Uh, and uh, and but that that was one of the the beginnings of of the talk radio. Is when Larry King, uh, you had we had stations on the air overnight, but usually they played music. As a matter of fact, and uh, yeah, as a matter of uh, fact, Larry King had replaced Mutual. Uh, their first overnight talk show host, and we didn't carry this on WPTF, but uh, the but I was working for a station in Durham that did. Uh, the first overnight host on Mutual was a guy named Long John Neville. Yeah, Long John was on uh, WOR in New York, and his program was syndicated, and uh, he was on for a number of years, and 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 made that concept popular. He was very entertaining and knowledgeable. I have read, Tony, that he got in trouble with uh, with the boys, so to speak, and had to get out of town. So, and, and I'm trying to think of the of the guy from Greensboro who uh, went to Chapel Hill, who who had a nighttime talk show, and he just passed away recently. Uh, who who for a period filled the Long John's shoes, but I, I, I will think of it in a moment. Are you talking about Barry Farber? Barry Farber, right? Barry Farber was, I think, the first person that took Long John's place. I don't think well, if you'll crazy. recall, there were a few years, and, and you know the years run together, but there were a few years where we carried a, a Barry Farber show uh, uh, in the evenings on WPTF. But during since I've been there, uh, I don't know if you remember that or not. It was not it was not a long running program, but uh, well, no. well in, in the shifting around of the, the the network talk shows, particularly in the eighties and into the nineties, uh, we actually. Uh, I saw a piece on Sally Jesse Raphael, and we actually carried her show for a very brief time somewhere in there. And, uh, and uh, uh, well, just a, a 
kind of a pick of the uh, major uh, uh, talk show host uh, trying to, uh, to establish which was the best. Let's go back for a moment, though, and see. Uh, I, I want to point out one thing: is the the concept of the uh, the uh, nightly uh, inclusive newscast. Uh, for instance, on CBS it was Laurel Thomas, and on uh, on NBC it was Morgan Beatty, and those they, they, they were usually fifteen minute newscasts. And when and on, uh, on mutual, it was Tony Marvin. Pardon me. On Mutual, it was Tony Marvin. Tony Marvin, and I'm trying to think of who was on ABC. But what, but what happened is when television came on, it aped that. It, it, mar- it went the same way, and you and I got to listen to Douglas Edwards on CBS and uh, John Cameron Swayze on NBC, and ultimately Hundley Brinkley came on NBC. But And on ABC, John Charles Daly. John Charles Daly, exactly. guy with an English accent. Uh, uh, but... Uh, the early days of television, television looked a lot like, and in some ways it still does look in its network phases, looked a lot like what radio had looked like. You had you know, a morning show, and then you had uh, uh, sometimes quiz shows and things like that in the morning. And then, and we need to talk about the, the farm broadcasting at WPTF. And then in the afternoon, you tended to have soap operas. I know when I was in the first grade, I used to come home, and we were talking 1950 now, and Listen to Stella Dallas with my grandmother. She she let me listen to the not that I understood what was going on, but listen to. The I don't know songs. if you know that this was this was not on PTF, but and I never heard I never heard any of those programs because you're a little bit older than me. Yeah. But uh, I think the one I would have enjoyed the most uh, was actually on CBS. It was called Wendy Warren and the News, and uh, the segment was an actual newscast anchored by Douglas Edwards in the middle of Wendy Warren and the News. Ah. Now, I've heard of Wendy Warren and the News, but I don't believe I've ever heard of it. But NBC had a, a nighttime soap opera-type show, very soft show, called One Man's Family. It ran from the 1930s to, oh, I think sometime in the, the 1980s. It was it was on for either 30 minutes or 15 minutes every, every night, and it's... Uh, in England, on the BBC has a show called The Archers. It's been on about 50 years, and One Man's Family was a little bit like it. It was the same family and through several generations. But I just wanted to mark out that, that while the, the networks uh, pretty much folded as broadcasters of uh, network situation comedies, and uh, science, I know you mentioned X-1 earlier. Uh, that was a science fiction show that was on. Uh, they continued to... To the part of the networks that lasted the longest was was the news department, and they tended to have regular broadcasts with people. Fortune well, as a matter of fact, uh, you know the uh, the hourly uh, network newscast didn't start until the 1950s. Uh, the the five minute top of the hour broadcast that we still have today. Uh, during World War One, it was the longer form newscast that we were talking about earlier. But the every hour on the top of the hour newscast started in the 1950s when we became more of a car culture. Yep. We need to stop right now because those newscasts that we are talking about continue to be on and we tend to offer the news to our listeners. And it's coming up right here on WPTF at 930. For Wednesday night, September the 16th, a little promo, Dr. Falkhauser will be with us tomorrow night. For an update on the necrology, which, of course, for those of you who do not know, is a list of 
those who have died who should be remembered and to people who slip away and you don't realize they're gone. So Dr. Ed will be here, and then on Friday night we'll have trivia, uh, as usual, on Friday night. Tonight our guest is, well, he's really not a guest. Uh, he's, he's a a colleague. Uh, he, he taught me some of the stuff I know and, in fact, predates me in employment date. I think, Tony, you said 1978 is when you started working at 19, WPTF? 1978 was when I came there full-time. My, my very first stand at WPTF as a part-timer for the then WPTF-FM was in 1972, but I came in there full-time in 78. And uh, you, you were working for WPTF-FM, I believe, in, in 72. Is that not 72, right? which is now WQDR, but with a very, very, very different format uh, right. at that point. And we, and we actually point. had a lot of classical music on uh, PTF-FM back then. And, and it went to, it was not long after that that WPTF-FM went to its format as WQDR as a free-form progressive radio station. And, yeah, uh, and as a matter of fact, WQDR actually stands for Quad Rock. Right. And then in, in the early 80s, it switched to country. I should point right. out that uh, um, my colleagues, you are the one who goes back absolutely the furthest, uh, although your employment has not been continuous, and the most the furthest continuous is our friend Mike Rayleigh, who is, uh, uh, used to uh, came in 75. 70, and I got... Uh, I started my second life in 1982. And well, you know, uh, Tom, uh, it's something I, we really should take some pride in is the fact that you and Rayleigh and I uh, have been on the air over a longer period of time. We're in the, in the top five broadcasters in PTF history in terms of length of time on the air at the station. Who would the other ones be? Paul Gertz would be one. My hero. Yeah, and I don't know that there's another one in there. I just know that the three of us <laughs> are, are right up there, which says something good or something bad one way or the other, but uh, I'm very proud to have been part of it for so long. Mr. Gertz came in, the, in, I think, in the mid-30s to cover the state legislature, yes. and I think he was on the air until sometime in the 70s. Uh, yes, I, and the other person would have been, now that I'm thinking, it would have been John H. Harris. Uh, who was on the air for over 40 years. And the program that Mike Rayleigh does is a yes. lineal descendant of, uh, of the Tar Heel Gardener. Of the Tar Heel Gardener and John yes. Harris. Well, this allows us, we're going to come back to monitor, but this allows us to talk about the WPTF schedule during this period after World War II and how it, had cha how it was changing. I think John Harris started doing uh, a show where people would write in and, and describe problems with their plants and so on, and it was on Saturday morning, and the Weekend Gardener is a d direct descendant of it. Uh, you could yeah, call it, in uh, on it. You, you, yeah, the you, Weekend Gardener uh, came on in 1985, and uh, he was, uh, Johnny Harris was on, I think, from 1945 to 1985. Right, well, but he, he uh, anyway, that, that was the, the oldest show on WPTF, and, and, and the, as I said, the lineal descendant of it is the Weekend Gardener, which I I think carries that out. One of the things that happened in the '60s, and you know more about this than I do, but the 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 ancestor of this show, uh, uh, which when I started doing it was called the Open Line, as I inherited it from Mr. Rittner. But uh, Bart Rittner started doing a one night a week of a call-in show or interview show, along with the, the music show that he was normally doing, and it became one of the first talk shows in the, in the South. 
Yeah, you know, and actually it um, it was on earlier. Uh, it was on from 7 to 8, uh, one night a week as part of a program called Program Kaleidoscope. Uh, which was a program that Bart hosted every night. It actually ran from 6.45 to 8 o'clock. Uh, but one night a week, it would be called Kaleidoscope Open Line, and it would begin following the NBC News at 7 and run from 7 to 8 o'clock. And uh, eventually, uh, it became a program in its own right, uh, moving uh, to to 8 o'clock initially as uh, as just Open Line and not Kaleidoscope Open Line. And, and for a while, uh, and, and, and let me give you a sidebar here. Bart and I found a tape one time. It was one of the first shows that he did, and the guest was Charles Dunn. I know you remember him. He Former was, director of the uh, SBI. And crime control. And, and the issues, this was like 1968, and, and we found the, the thing about 1988, and the issues that they were talking about were exactly the same issues. Nothing had changed. You could could have played the tape, and... People would have thought it was in real time, but that's where the talk. Well, you know, it's interesting. You time now that you mentioned that. As an aside from that, uh, I was talking with uh, with Bruce Farrell the other day, and um, the news story that never goes away. I have been doing newscasts uh, for almost fifty years since 1972 in the Triangle, and the one story that still pops up that it was already two years old at the time I started doing newscasts was the Jeffrey McDonald case, and it still pops up again. Uh, and, and I, I didn't know what you were going to say, but indeed I, I see that it has, it has reared its head again. It, it yes. And, uh, yes, and uh, I mean, you know, we're, we're going 50 years now with, with that case. Well, you know, uh, Bart, uh, we had a program about 20 years ago that was a, based on controversies, and Bart had the... Uh, the two sides in the Jeffrey McDonald case. I know Wade Smith came out here, and I think Jimmy, I uh, can't think of his name, uh, who was the, the district attorney who prosecuted. If if folks in this part of the world are new and don't know what the McDonald case is, they will find out sooner or later. Now, let's go back for a minute, uh, because we have not mentioned the show that a lot of people, if they are, would be asked to mention WPTF in the 50s and 60s, would mention. And you and I, of course, have a battle over whether the morning show would be Jay or Jimmy Capps' version of a show called Our Best to You. And, uh, yeah, and it was a late-night uh, music uh, request program. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting, Tom, when you think about it, that sort of spans the change in, in, in radio because uh, initially I would say that Our Best to You was probably for a while in the uh, in the early mid fifties, probably the most listened to program on WPTF because at that point you still had a lot of uh, of nighttime listeners. But as the fifties progressed and radio became more of a morning medium, uh, the most listened to program became the BJ Show. Right. right. Well, I know uh, when the, the late Woody Durham, uh, he right after he retired, published a, a biography, and he mentioned in it that he uh, he used to send his, well, what you would do on Our Best to Use, you, you would uh, write a request to Jimmy Capps, and he would play it, and, and he would say something like, from Woody in, in, uh, in, uh, in Chapel Hill to 
Do you know Mrs. Uh, Durham's? Uh, Jean is, is Mrs. Durham's name. What yeah. was her name? Jean. Jean. Uh, yeah. He wants her to know he had a, a really nice date this past weekend or something like that. And uh, I don't think he would, He of course, has passed on, but he would not mind me, us because that was, he, he said, uh, I, he was on the air with me, and he said that, uh, you know, in those days we didn't go back and forth as easily as we do now. People, Everybody didn't have a car nor the money to put gas in it and so on. So you could sort of send messages over uh, the radio program at night. And it, it was vastly popular. I, I know they interviewed uh, Governor Hunt once, who was a student at State, and he told us the story of if, you, if the windows were open, you didn't need a radio because everybody was listening to this particular. And it was small scene music and love songs and things like that. It was with a lot of poetry interspersed there, too, at a great opening. Uh... Uh, right. for our best to you. And uh, Jimmy Capps uh, did that uh, for many years up until the uh, early 60s when he went over to a uh, station that's now one of our sister stations at Curtis Media uh, over to Kicks and did the program over there. And a guy who was still working at WPTF when I came to work there, a guy named Bill Hope, took over the late night program on WPTF and they changed the name to the night song. And they were still doing that when I started working because I, I, one of my jobs was when, uh, was to play that, uh, uh, night song. I think it was on Saturday night or, or Sunday night. I think it was on Sunday night. As it was on Sunday night, uh, with Bill Hoke and, uh, and, uh, Monday through Friday, uh, eventually Mike Braley was hosting it live. And then, uh, uh, after that, and for a number of years, uh, a guy that you and I both worked with for a while and a real character by the name of Tom Avery took over as the host. Of that exactly, and I did a version of it on Sunday night, not unlike what Mr. Curtis does on, on uh, Sunday night now. And uh, we've always loved that music and the concept of our best to you. Maybe maybe uh, our colleague uh, uh, John Sauter can find our best to you by Eddie Howard and play a little bit of it as a bumper coming out of the break that we're going to take here in just a second. But uh, that was some of the programming that was scattered across the WPTF schedule. Let's take about two, two or three minutes before we take a break and talk about the programming dedicated to the rural parts of our listening audience, because both you and I were involved in that behind our good friend Johnny Hood. Yes, and uh, I, I, still, I, I still do that occasionally. I did those programs about three weeks ago for few days when uh, Mike Davis was away, and you're talking about our agricultural programming, uh, which on WPTF, a guy named Earl Hofstetler was actually the first farm director, and he was succeeded by Wally Osley, and then uh, our uh, great late friend Johnny Hood, and then Marlon Bowling, and then Rhonda Garrison, and now Mike Davis. So it's been a, a great group of farm directors over the years, and uh, and in the early 70s, establishment of the Southern Farm Network as well. And most of our farm uh, reports now are on the Southern Farm Network rather than PTF, but they started out on PTF. And, and uh, in the 50s and into the 60s and early 70s, there was a farm program from 5 to 6 in the morning because you and I had to get up often. And, and the early bird hour. And then there was a farm hour between 12 and 1. Uh, That's right. Showing the uh, rural interest. And, and there's still a lot of agricultural product in North Carolina, uh, uh, even though it's not as obvious in being dominant as it. Yeah. Well, it's more, it, it, 
the day of the small farm is uh, given way in large measure to the uh, larger agribusiness that, that we have now, but it's still a, a vital industry in North Carolina. North Carolina is still a major producer in a lot of those different agricultural sectors. It's surprising how much of it, I heard some figures one time, how much of it in a, in a county like Wake County that you do not think of, uh, that how much agricultural product there continues to be. Let's take a break and uh, come back and talk a little bit about uh, Monitor and anything else you want to talk about, Tony. Uh, we're, we're on WPTF. It's 946. And your recorded uh, for Jimmy Capps, whose voice you heard uh, with the opening notes. Tony, I guess you had to be there, and I'm, I'm sorry if you weren't, because uh, it was uh, it was uh, just the right thing for that particular time in, in, in our history. But in any event, Well, it really was, and uh, what a fantastic voice Jimmy Capps had as well. And uh, I love hearing that opening just to hear Jimmy Capps' voice. Oh, yeah, it was, and, he was, and he was not a big barrel-tested games, uh, I think a relatively small man, but he, he really had command of his voice, and he, he would read poetry. In fact, I think he played what it was was football on the show one time, and uh, the record producers in New York or Los Angeles, wherever they are, discovered that uh, uh, Kachaturian's saber dance was selling a lot of records, and they couldn't figure out what was going on in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it was because Jimmy Capps was playing it on his show at night, and so uh, that's a little bit of a sample of what went on on WPTF. We've got about, Tony, about three minutes, three and a half minutes. Any particular button you want to push at this point? Well, I would say that uh, the one consistent uh, thing over the years at WPTF has been news, first and foremost news, and uh, uh, beginning uh, immediately after World War II with the establishment of a very strong news department there, uh, going uh, through the the great Bob Farrington, uh, other great news directors over the years, Wayne Ennis and Mike Edwards and uh, Bruce Farrell, and all of them, you know, have just carried on that tradition. The man who hired me at WPTF, Wayne Ennis, a fantastic news anchor and uh, news director. Uh, and it's been a tradition that we're carrying on today, not only on WPTF, but uh, on the North Carolina News Network as well. Well, when I explain to new people that I made who come to Raleigh and they say, where do you work, Tom? And I tell them about WPTF and that it's the go-to station. That is, it's the station you listen to to find out if the schools are going to be closed. You know, that kind of thing. The, so the, official. Uh, I like to call it the station of record. Station of record. That, 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 will, that will do. But it's, it, it, it is the same way. And I always, like you, I would always uh, turn first to, to AM680 to hear what was going on on WPTF. In fact, even today when I'm when I'm being smart aleck, uh, somebody says, what's happening? I said, I, I've got to wait till I hear the WPTF newscast. Uh, and we appreciate that. Well, but... <laughs> and you have been a part of it. And, and one thing we did not talk about tonight, and I think about this because someone uh, called up the other night when we were doing a trivia, and they said that the song uh, uh, Brandy, by Looking Glass was Gary Dornberg's favorite song, and it made me think about Gary, who's been 
not with us 22 years this year, I believe. That's believe. hard to believe. And uh, uh, Gary, of course, had been around since the late uh, 1960s, uh, first on WPTF-FM and then uh, joined to WPTF-AM in the early 1970s, and sports director and on the Wolfpack Network, and a guy I worked very, very closely with for a lot of years, and we still miss him all these years later. Well, almost anybody that was a Wolfpacker from the 50s on uh, uh, listened to the Wolfpack Network and a couple of WPTF personnel, Wally Osley. Uh, first Bill Jackson and Wally Osley, and then Wally Osley and Gary Dornberg were the voices of the Wolfpack for so many years. That's right, starting in 1960. Well, we have used up our time, and I hate it because... I always love it when I get to talk to you because these are the kind of things we used to sit around with our feet up on the desk and, and talk about. Uh, maybe we can come back with another version yeah. of this. That Remember you and Mike Raley and I did a year-and-a-half-long series of programs like this. 45 programs, exactly. Yeah. And we've still got a lot of them in us, in us. I want you to come back before too long. I'm not trying to trap you now, but we need to talk about sports a little bit. So see if we can, Sounds good, John. We'll see if we can find a day. Thank you. Have a good day tomorrow. You're welcome. Okay. Tony Rigsby, you can hear him on WPTF uh, all over the schedule. But he fills in for a lot of people, but you'll hear him during the day. And uh, tomorrow night, uh, we're going to have Dr. Ed Funkhauser and talk about uh, our update on our necrology.